Six people have now been arrested in Belgium in connection with the March 22nd terrorist attacks at the airport and subway. The fresh tally of arrests includes a Swedish fighter who will be questioned on any links to the West Europe-based cell behind those attacks also in Paris. Five people were arrested in a series of police raids in Brussels yesterday. No details have yet been released about the sixth suspect who was arrested today, but one of the men in custody after a series of police raids is thought to be the mysterious man in the hat who escaped that double bombing in Brussels last month. Well, Surrey Mayor Linda Hepner and Minister of Public Safety Mike Morris addressed the ongoing issue of gang-related gun violence in Surrey. In an effort to combat gang violence, Mayor Hepner announced the city will be giving Surrey RCMP 24-hour access to all 330 of the city's traffic surveillance cameras. In addition, 75 new cameras will also be installed. RCMP Assistant Commissioner Bill Forty says this week five arrests were made and 13 guns were seized. A special community forum will be held in Surrey on April the 18th. A violent, high-risk sex offender with a history of targeting seniors has been arrested in Vancouver. VPD Constable Brian Montague says Jason White, who was wanted on a Canada-wide warrant and also in relation to Thursday night's attempted home invasion of an elderly woman in the Oak Ridge neighbourhood, was arrested just after 3.30 this morning. White had previously been convicted of breaking in to a 74-year-old Nanaimo woman's home in 1994, violently sexually assaulting and robbing her. Well, in Edmonton, NDPs are gathered there today to decide on the party's future. Alberta's governing NDP are at odds with the federal branch of the party over something called the Leap Manifesto. Federal Party leader Tom Mulcair says he's looking forward to the conversation about the manifesto. Canadian press reporter Christy Currup is at the convention. Uh, the Alberta government is really trying to make it clear uh, that they are in favour of pipeline development uh, and getting bitumen to tidewater, and that's not something uh, that the Leap Manifesto was for. Alberta Premier Rachel Notley will speak at the convention later today. Tomorrow, party leaders will vote on whether or not to keep Tom Mulcair at the helm of the federal party. A memorial for Constable Sarah Beckett, the Mountie who died in a car accident while on duty, has been set for Tuesday in Victoria. As a gesture of support, BC Ferries is offering complimentary trips to first responders who are coming over for the memorial. BC Ferries' Deborah Marshall. You know, we, we deal with the police and first responders uh, very frequently at our terminals and uh, sometimes on our vessels. And uh, this is just a small gesture of thanks to show our support and appreciation for all of the work that first responders do. Marshall's expecting 6,700 first responders to make the trip on Tuesday. BC Ferries also is adding an extra sailing from Tawasson to Swartz Bay on Tuesday. Tuesday at 10. 10-year-old Surrey student and poet Ria Aurora is on her way to New York as part of her after-school program. She is extremely excited. Um, she has never been to New York before, so this is her first time you know, getting on a plane, and she's going to be the only Canadian student there representing Vancouver and Canada. Kevin Yang is a director of the after-school program called Canada Scores, which combines sports with reading and writing. Our program uses a unique blend of soccer, poetry, and community service experiences. Aurora will be presenting her poem entitled Soccer on Monday. CKW News for Crystal Vision and Hearing Centers. Trade in your old hearing aids and save. Details online at cvoh.ca. CKW News Time now 9.04. Here's the latest AM 730 traffic. 
Good morning and good news. Cleared away the stall. It was southbound at the south end of the Massey Tunnel. It's out of there, no longer causing any delays. Where you will find a delay is in Surrey. Crews are paving on 72nd Avenue. You're down to single lane alternating traffic, and that's between 144th and 146th Streets. There's a crane lift in Vancouver at 12th Avenue and Canby, mainly affecting eastbound traffic. Crews are replacing power poles in downtown Vancouver on Burrard Street and Seymour Street, and that's from Helmkin to Davie. And a special event has Pat Quinn Way completely blocked to traffic from Pacific to Expo Boulevard until 4 p.m. For the most up-to-date traffic information, go to AM730, all traffic all the time. I'm Trish Jewison. Thank you, Trish. In sports, Jordan Spieth continues to lead in the third round as the Masters resumes today. Uh, he has a one-shot lead over Rory McIlroy. It was an awful day for golfers yesterday. In Major League Baseball, the Blue Jays lost their home opener to the Red Sox 8-7. to They'll do it again today, and it's Rick Porcello on the mound against R.A. Dickey. In the NBA, the Toronto Raptors got past Indiana 111-98. They have today off. In the NHL, the Canucks finish off their season against the Edmonton Oilers at home at 7. Last night, Columbus beat Buffalo in the lone game. Major League Soccer has the Whitecaps playing in Washington against D.C. United who have yet to win in Major League Soccer this season. Global Sky Tracker weather on CKNW. We're in for another great day today. A mix of sun and cloud, a high of 15, 22 if you're away from the water. Tonight, cloudy and down to 8. Tomorrow, sunny again, a high of 15 and even warmer inland. Monday, cloudy and 16. Tuesday, expect some rain, a high of 12. Wednesday, a slight chance of showers, a high going up again to 15 degrees. In Surrey this morning, it is 13 degrees, and outside CKNW at Pacific Center in downtown Vancouver, it's also 13. CKNW Newstime 906, I'm John Meyer. I got Tim Sesnick ready to go here, but first, it's our quote of the week. I love this one. H.L. Mencken famously observed in quotes, the whole aim of practical politics is to keep the populace alarmed and hence clamorous to be led to safety by menacing it with an endless series of hobgoblins, all of them imaginary. You know, I think of that and I think of all the stuff we've dealt with over the years, H1, or H1N1, uh, SARS, Y2K, bird flu, West Nile virus, absolutely tens of billions of dollars spent. The whole aim of practical politics is to keep the populace alarmed. Hallelujah to that one. Hey, you know what? Sorry to break the news. It's tax season right now. Ouch! That's right. I'll be doing that. That's my new hobby for the next couple of weeks. But that's why we love to bring on our tax expert. There is no one better than my friend Tim Sesnick uh, joining me now. Tim, uh, well, first of all, Tim, let me tell people who you are. It's not like they don't know, but you're Managing Director, Advanced Wealth Planning at Scotiabank, author of several best-selling books on this. And, and by the way, the best books I ever saw on practical tax advice for individuals. Uh, they've read you in the Globe and Mail. The list is a long one. Uh, so first of all, thanks for being with us. Yeah, thank you for having me again, Michael. It's always good to join you. Hey, this is the time of year, I bet, where people come into you and, and, it, and you first spend the first while, I wish you would talk to me sooner. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, People are looking to do their tax planning for last year right about now, but it's, it's a little yeah. late, except that with a few things you can do. Well, let, let me just start with this question, though. What, you know, you've got a lot of experience in this. What is the deduction that most people fail to take advantage of? Well, 
You know, there are a number of deductions I think people can you know, either miss or, or mess up on. There's one in particular that uh, I'll mention. It's not a, a deduction that people forget to claim, but they often don't claim it properly. And that is their RSP deduction. So, I mean, what do I mean by that? Well, when you make a contribution to your RSP, of course, you can claim a tax deduction for what you've contributed, as long as it's within your contribution limits. But um, especially this year, this, this applies every year, but especially this year, sometimes it makes sense to hold your deduction um, and not actually claim it this year, but maybe claim it the following year. If you think your income is going to be higher in the following year or your tax rate is going to be higher in the following year, it can make sense to save that deduction. And um, in, in, when you compare 2015 to 2016, many people will be in a higher tax bracket going into uh, in 2016 because of some of the tax rate changes that have taken place. And in those cases, you might be better off holding on to that RSP deduction until next year. But let's say I made that deduction, um, or I made that contribution rather, you know, February 1st, 2016. I do have the option to use it for 2015. Uh, but let's say I choose, as you're suggesting to me, well, check out. I mean, you'd have to know the individual circumstances. But, okay, so I'm going to use it in my 2016 year. What does that mean for my contribution in 2016? So, so you've got to separate two things. Separate your ability to put money into your RSP yeah. and then your ability to claim a deduction for it. They're two separate. The timing can be very separate. So you could put money, maybe you put money into your RSP in, uh, in February, let's say, for 2015, because you were allowed to do that, you can claim that deduction, as you said, on your 2015 return, or you can claim it at any future year. Now, for 2016, you've got more contribution room. You can put more money in. Again, but separate that contribution from when you decide to claim the deduction, because it's a separate thing. Yes. Um, and, and for some people, especially I think about our friends in Alberta, where you know their, some of their marginal tax rates have gone up by 10% over the last year, uh, you know, if you're going to pay 10% more in tax and in 2016, then holding on to a, a 10,000 RSP deduction and claiming it next year instead of in 2015, that could save you an extra thousand dollars in some cases. So it might be worth it depending on your, again, sure. you have to know what your tax rate is. Let me come back to something else too, is that this is the last year. I'm talking now the 2015 tax year. That's what we're preparing now till the end of the month. Uh, we're losing. This is the last year for a few deductions. Can you just remind me which ones are going the Dodo Berg way? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, it's um, it's the last kick at the can for some of these things, so you don't want to miss out on them if you can get them. Um, one is the family tax cut. You might recall that the Conservatives introduced a uh, an income splitting uh, tax credit called the family tax cut, which which can save you and effectively allows you to transfer up to fifty thousand dollars in income from your tax return to your spouse's. Um, the way it actually works is it's by way of a tax credit. You don't actually take 50000 of your income and move it over to your spouse's return. That's not how it works. But the effect is the same. And that could save your family up to $2,000 in tax this year. So don't forget about the family tax cut. That'll be gone uh, for next year this time. We won't see it after that because the liberals are getting rid of it. Um, also, uh, the education and textbook tax credits, if you're a student, and uh, this will be the last year you'll, you'll be able to claim those tax credits. What the government, the liberal government decided to do was to get rid of those credits. They've been around for many years, but they're going to get rid of them and, and instead beef up the Canada Student Loans Program is what they're looking to do. Um, then, of course, there's the Children's Fitness and Arts Tax Credit. So, you know, the Conservatives introduced these, which I think a lot of people have appreciated because it's, it's, uh, it's expensive to enroll kids in hockey and soccer and baseball and things like that. So, and, and music lessons and dance lessons. So these, um, 
a lot of these uh, arts and, and fitness activities, we were able to claim a deduction for, or credit for, rather. And that's, um, it, we, this is the last year we can claim a full credit. Next year at this time, when you're filing your return, you'll get half the credit that you, you're entitled to this year. And the year after that, they'll be gone completely. So those are some of the uh, the key things that are changing over the next. And, of course, one last thing that's changing is it doesn't really, um, not something you report on your tax return, but your tax return does affect it. And that is the um, the universal child care benefit is disappearing, and the liberals are replacing it with the Canada child benefit, which starts in July. Uh, and, and basically the payments you get under that benefit really depend on your income level. And so you want to file your tax return. Make sure you get those returns in on time, because if you don't, if you are entitled to a child Canada child benefit, you might not get the benefit. You've got to file a return to get them. You're just reminding me of another thing is that even if you don't, even if you say, well, I don't think I'm going to have any taxable income this year, it's still good to file because you can get what are, you know, maybe you can explain a little bit further, but for fundable tax credits. Yeah, absolutely. Some, some tax credits come back to you whether you have tax going or not. Some of them are refundable, as you said. So uh, you want to make sure you file, and which is, reminds me of one more thing. Sometimes we don't encourage our children to file tax returns, but once your kids reach 19 years of age, they're actually entitled to a GST or HST credit, which is cash back in their pocket of almost $300, up to $300 in a year. And that's just for filing a tax return. So you want to make sure your kids do file tax returns once they hit a certain age, and once they hit 19 especially, but also if they have any earned income at all, you know, it could be babysitting, it could be delivering newspapers or whatever they're doing. You want to report that on a tax return. They're not likely to pay any tax, but it will create RSP contribution room for them uh, for the future that they can use in the future. So make sure your kids file returns. Uh, the other thing, well, actually, let me take a break, Tim, because I'm going to come back because there's a couple of other things to get to. But I want to start with, did the federal budget provide any changes that we weren't warned about when it comes to taxation? That, you know, we've, we've been told this is going to happen, this is going to happen, like the change in the, the child care benefit, et cetera. But was there anything in the budget that we weren't told in advance that's going to impact us from a tax perspective? Tim Sesnick is my gra- guest. Uh, great stuff with Tim. <laughs> and uh, look, I really do appreciate this. He's managing director, advanced wealth planning at Scotiabank this is what he has to do during the week like (laughs) you know so I've got him on the weekend for you we appreciate it I'll take a break come back on the Money Talks Network it's interesting with taxation because what we pay in some level of tax we always focus on income tax so we do pay obviously in in most provinces other than Alberta you pay a sales tax uh, property purchase tax if you bought some real estate uh, you know, in British Columbia, you know how big that one is. Uh, you know, there's other fees, mandatory stuff. So it's the biggest cost of living for the average Canadian, uh, which I find interesting because we don't seem to know much about it. And that gets emphasized at taxis. And that's why I'm so pleased to have Tim Sesnick with me here today. Uh, Tim, let me just come back quickly to the federal budget. Was there anything there that sort of what caught us by surprise? We had, you know, everything kind of, uh, well communicated in advance, but did anything show up in that budget that is a personal pa- tax issue that you sort of went, ouch? Yeah, there's there's a couple of things here, actually. Uh, one of the things that caught me by surprise was the fact that um, uh, corporate class mutual funds, these, these are a certain, uh, certain type of mutual fund uh, that people invest in are now effectively shut down. These are mutual funds where when you help own them, you can switch between one from one fund to another and not pay any tax when you switch. And uh, now the government has said, now if you decide to switch between these different mutual funds, 
you're going to pay tax at that time. So for investors, and there's quite a, many, many thousands of investors out there that are investing in these particular kind of mutual funds. They're called switch funds or corporate class funds. Uh, that tax benefit is now gone, which is unfortunate. I think also uh, in the case of small business owners, there was a couple of things that, that hit them pretty hard. One was that um, the, 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 the planned dec- decrease in, in tax rates for small businesses the rate was to decrease between now and 2019 mm-hmm. down to 9.5% federally. That was capped, so they, they said, we're not going to drop the rate any further. So that was a, a bit of a hit for business owners as well. And uh, also, lastly, for business owners, um, many people had done some tax planning in the past, which was completely legal and effective, uh, to increase the number of dollars that they could have taxed at the low business rate, small business yes. rate. Um, and the government has basically shut down some of those ideas now so that the People will not have as many dollars that they'll be allowed to have taxed at lower rate. Another one, just very quickly, um, you know, it may have been talked about, but come on, in the federal election, I think the Liberals made upwards of 200 promises, and this was certainly not a main one. But this whole idea, if I wanted to, let's say I bought a piece of property and it escalated in value, and I want to donate the entire proceeds of that piece of property mm-hmm. to a charity, so I just transfer it. Up until the, I thought it was the best thing that the conservatives may have done in their rule, that there was no kind of taxi kind of stuff to take care of. I didn't have to sell it and do all sorts of stuff. I just gave it to the charity, and there you go. Yeah, that's that's this is a real hit to charities, unfortunately. Uh, the conservatives did allow you to donate, or it was to come into play starting in 2017, where you could donate some of the proceeds on the sale of your real estate or private company shares to charity, yeah. and, when, and when you do that, eliminate the tax on, 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 on some of those uh, those proceeds. Well, that's gone now. So I think that the real loser there are the charities. Yeah, let me just reiterate there. So what what is going to happen now, isn't it, Tim, that I bought the whatever it is, shares or, or you know real estate at $100. I sold it. At two, I wanted to transfer it. But now I have to sell it, pay the capital gains tax, and then I've got money to to uh, donate to the charity, and I'll get a deduction for that. But there's less money available for the charitable donation. Yeah, it used to be that they, they were really effectively trying to, last year when they brought in this, this change, they tried to equate private company shares and real estate to to publicly traded securities, which you can donate to charity. Mm-hmm. And when you do that, you eliminate the capital gains tax on, this, on those shares that you donate. On top of that, you get the donation tax credit. So now uh, with real estate and private company shares, you can no longer do that. Um, you still get the donation tax credit if, for whatever you donate after you've paid your capital gains taxes, but they won't be eliminating the capital gains tax at all. Yeah, I, I thought that seriously. I, that's that's something that I care about is charitable donations, and I, I I thought that was a bad move. I don't think there's much in it on the positive, but there's more way more on the negative. Hey, let me ask you this. You know, some people comes. I'm too busy. I've got actually somebody I know this way personally. I'm too busy. I'm overwhelmed. I'm not going to owe any taxes, so I'm not going to file. We talked about he might be missing out on uh, certain things, uh, you know, refundable tax credits. But what about the person who does owe tax? What are the penalties uh, for not filing? So there, there's two ways you can be penalized for not filing. First of all, you can be penalized for filing your tax return late. Um, and, of course, the returns are due by April 30th, unless you happen to have any self-employment activity, in which case your deadline is actually extended to June 15th. So, by, by the way, a little trick that some people play is that if you're going to file late and you're afraid about uh, a penalty, you, you could you know, create some self-employment activity on your tax return, and then you're, you're okay. You're, you're, you can file by June mm. 15th. But, you know, that has to be 
in a, in a perfect world, it has to be legitimate. <laughs> legitimate yes. Activity. But uh, the penalty for, for filing late is if you happen to owe tax a tax balance and you file your return late, it's a 5% penalty the moment you're late, and then it's an additional 1% per month that you're late in filing a return. Now, on top of that, there's interest, maybe interest owing on the tax balance that you owe that you haven't remitted. That tax balance is due to be paid by April 30th. No matter when your tax return is due, you have to pay your tax balance owing by April 30th. And if you don't, then there is going to be some interest owing on the overdue balance uh, there. And right now, that rate's about 5% per year on, on the overdue tax balances. Hey, what if you file, but you don't have the dough at that point? So I file on time. I do not have the $11,212 I owe. Does that just eliminate the penalty, but not the interest part, but the penalty part? Yeah, that's exactly right. So you want to file your return even if you don't have the money to pay it because that that avoids the penalty. The interest might still be owing if you don't pay your balance on time, but that's a lot smaller uh, uh, cost to you than paying a big penalty. Okay, we only got a couple minutes left, so I'm going to fire a couple things at you. And just to remind people of this, uh, let's start with the charitable donations and, uh, and, and come to medical in a second. But charitable, you're allowed to pool them. Like, you know, for your whole family, basically, but let's talk spouses, of course. Yeah, that's right. So if you, you and your spouse have made some donations, you want to claim it all on the tax return of one spouse. Uh, it doesn't really matter which spouse you claim it on, but, but typically I, I like to claim it on the higher income spouse's tax return. All it does is it maximizes your, your donation tax credits, and the reason for that is the first $200 of donations that you might claim doesn't get quite as much tax relief as amounts mm. over 200 So if you're each reporting donations, then you both get the lower tax relief on the first 200. You don't want to do that. You want to pool them all yeah. together and you save more tax that way. It, it might be another 50 bucks in your pocket. What about medical though? Can I pool yeah, those medical, also? Medical's a little bit different. The way medical expenses work is once your medical expenses reach a certain threshold, once they get to a certain level, um, uh, you know, you, you, you're, you're going to have to have a certain level of income to claim them. So in other words, if your income is, is uh, low, You'll be able to claim more of your, your of your of your medical expenses. If your income is very high, you may not be able to claim any of them. So normally, we claim all the medical expenses on the tax return of a lower income spouse. But again, you, you can pool them all together like you will your donations. Just claim them on the lower tax lower income spouse's tax return. Uh, let me just finish with this. Uh, you know, there's always talks about simplifying, you know, taxation. There's talk. There certainly doesn't look much of it's happened. And I, I do look at things like the changes that we've got in this budget in some areas, or rather put forward by the new government, which is obviously totally within their right. Some of them, they ran on that platform. But my gosh, it gets complicated. Is it even realistic to suggest that we can simplify our tax system? Uh, well, you you know, know, because it seems to be getting more complicated, not easier. Well, it is getting more complicated. And... and I actually believe that it's not possible to have a really simple system. And I'll tell you why. Because no matter what you do in a tax system, there are going to be people that are going to, people will do things to try to plan to avoid sure. some of that tax. And anytime you get that happening, you know, the following year or a few years down the road, the government's going to have to step up and add another page to the income tax act to stop people from doing that particular thing. So, you know, you end up with um, a very thick book after a while. Yeah. <laughs> It's only gotten thicker over time. Um, if you look at the original Income Tax Act, it was just a few pages long. Now we're up to yeah, I think it, I think it was what uh, twenty-two pages, or I mean, it's yeah. it's that it's that low though. And now we're into thousands of pages when you start looking at well, especially if you take three levels of government, but you know appendixes and, and clarifications. And, and there's a whole you know legal else, system based. <laughs> and you know what else happens, Michael? You, you get 
what I would call investment technology changing. So every year we've got new types of investment products that are showing up on the shelves. Some of them are, are, are esoteric, they're a little bit unusual. They have principal guarantees on them. Some of them convert interest income into capital gains. Some do this, some do that. And they all have different tax implications. And, and, and if some of them become offensive to the government, they have to have another page think of tax act to deal with those issues. Yeah. You know, which is what they've done with, with the corporate class funds, like I just mentioned. So I think it's actually very difficult to simplify too much. Um, the, the government's tried, the liberal government's tried to do that. They've taken away the universal child care benefit and, and a couple of other tax credits or benefits to go along with that, replaced it with one single Canada child benefit. So I, I, I applaud mm-hmm. them for that. Um, you'll be better off if you're someone who makes under $140,000 a year. You'll actually get more from the government starting in July. Uh, in terms of child tax benefits, child benefits, but um, so they, they're doing some things to simplify, but I don't. I think we're past the stage of ever having a really, really simple tax system. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> hey, that's great news for you as managing director. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, at Scotia Bank with Advanced Wealth Planning. Yeah, there you go, Tim. I know you are busy. Thanks for taking the time with us, as always. Thanks, Michael. Great stuff as always with Tim Sesnick. No, but I'm, you know, you do talk about the simplification. It never, it never seems to happen. Hey, just a reminder, you should get on to moneytalks.net. You can get the weekly business comment, which I just found out was the number one hit thing on the site this past week, but also, uh, you know, some other great stuff. Martin Armstrong's got one on there. The European Central Bank is losing control. That's also another hot one, but you can find that at moneytalks.net. Plus, you can listen to the midweek interview and actually, didn't mind it this week. I talked about the Panama Papers. Uh, plus, you can listen to the whole Money Talk show. That's all on moneytalks.net. I'll be back. Wait till you hear this shocking stat. It is Vimy Ridge Day. A march from the West Vancouver Legion begins at 11 this morning from Memorial Park. It's to commemorate the 99th anniversary of the successful 1917 Canadian attack at Vimy Ridge. Brussels is under the second highest terror alert, meaning an attack is considered likely. This despite the arrests of five men following a series of police raids yesterday and one arrest today. One of the men in custody is thought to be the mysterious man in the hat who escaped the double bombing in Brussels last month. Federal NDP leader Tom Mulcair is fighting for his future as leader of the party at a convention in Edmonton this weekend. He'll need 70% support from the convention to stay on as leader. The vote on his leadership takes place tomorrow. Crews are still battling B.C.'s first significant wildfire of the year. The B.C. Wildlife Service says a fire has been discovered about 90 kilometers west of Quinell and the blaze is about 1,000 hectares in size. CKW News for Penfolds Roofing and Solar. Don't wait for another heavy rain forecast. Book your new roof today at penfoldsroofing.com where they guarantee a leak-free installation. CKNW News Time is 9.31 and now here's the latest AM 7.30 traffic. Good morning. Starting in Vancouver with a stall, it's eastbound Hastings at McDonald. That's in the left lane. Watch your speed this morning. Radar out there in full force in Surrey, northbound Highway 99 at 32nd Avenue. In Delta, Nordell on-ramp to the Alex Fraser. In Vancouver, northbound boundary at Rumble. And in Burnaby, Southridge eastbound at Burn Park Drive. Ongoing roadwork to keep in mind. In Surrey, you've got paving. It's down to single lane alternating traffic on 72nd Avenue between 144th and 146th. And that's ongoing until 2 o'clock. For the most up to traffic information go to am 730 all traffic all the time i'm caitlin osansky thank you caitlin now the latest global sky tracker weather on cknw in a mix of sun and cloud today high of 15 22 if you're away from the water tonight the low down to eight tomorrow sunshine once again in a high of 15 
Monday, cloudy and 16. In Surrey this morning, it is 13 degrees outside CKNW at Pacific Center in downtown Vancouver. It's 14. CKNW News Time is 9.33. I'm John Meyer. Live to the trading desk coming up, and hey, this is a great start. What if you had made this investment just a week ago? Well, we're talking about one that you would have done very, very well. Ozzy Juris got some hot properties for us. But first off, let's start with my shocking stat for the week. Maybe this one struck me because I've been talking about how public education, both at the high school level and, well, maybe elementary, and many faculties in our universities have become far more concerned with advocacy rather than critical thinking. I've got three children, and they've got dozens of friends, and all of them made it clear if they were going to get a good grade on an essay at university, then they'd be better be spouting the dogma of the progressive left. So I know that's anecdotal evidence, but this isn't. John Hasness has been a professor at Georgetown University McDonough School of Business uh, for over 20 years, and he provides this week's shocking stat, courtesy of an article in the Wall Street Journal. According to data compiled by Higher Education Research Institute, only 12% of university faculty identify themselves as politically right of center. And these are mainly professors in the School of Economics, or rather, schools of engineering and other professional schools. Only 5% of professors in the humanities and social science departments identified as being politically right of center. And there's more studies. James Lindgren of Northwestern University Law School did a comprehensive study that shows that in a country where, you know, there's about 50-50 Democrats and Republicans in the U.S., still only 13% of law professors identified themselves as Republican. Adding to the consistent trend, we got another one. This out of New York University, John Haight. Well, he found that 96% of social psychologists identified as left than center, 3.7% identified as centrist, moderate, and only 0.03% as right of center. This is interesting what Professor Hasness observed, because it's, he's been on the selection committees at Georgetown University. He says it's really interesting to see diversity advocates argue that exposure to people from different cultures and backgrounds helps breaks down, break down unfair stereotypes, promotes understanding of those who come from different circumstances than ourselves. But you know what? What they really mean is as long as their political and social views agree with us. Come on. When you start hearing numbers like 0.03%, I mean, again, this is really interesting on a form of principle. It's saying, I'm completely tolerant as long as you agree with me. Well, that's BS. That's just self-serving BS. But when you see this kind of data that's so consistent and so compelling, and then you hear from someone who says, I'm on the selection committee, and I've never been told that a variety of political slash economic views are welcome. Well, I think we've got a major problem. Just a reminder that Money Talks is brought to you by Solera Club. Solera Club is a royalty-based investment. That means you get paid first. You're first in line. There's no fees with it, and it's in the tech sector. So for more information, go to soleraclub.com. I'm going to take a break. I'm coming back. i got to find out. Aussie Jurek's got some hot properties that you want to hear about right here on the Money Talks Network. How about making over 500% annualized rate of return? If you just did this one thing last week, we talked about it on the air. Well, 
I'm going to do that live from the trading desk with Drew Zimmerman coming up in a couple of minutes. But right now, Ozzy Jurek is with me. Ozzy, look, I, people dream about being land barons, and I can't believe you can still buy some properties and look in the province of British Columbia for under a hundred grand. Yeah, the interesting thing is that you, you really see what land value does because you can go to Castlega, get a house, a nice two-bedroom house, or in Cornell, a three-bedroom, two-bathroom house, about the same as that average West Side bungalow at two million dollars. Well, the Cornell house is on at seventy-five thousand. The Castlega house is at eighty thousand five hundred, and we got one in Clearwater for good measure at ninety-two nine. So, who says it's not affordable? Well, it leads me to something. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, sorry, go ahead, Ozzy. The crazy thing is that if you took that eighty thousand dollar house, put four thousand down, the monthly payment is three hundred seventy, the tax is a hundred, so four hundred seventy dollars a month you would live there, and then guess what, Mike? Half of that money goes into your pocket because of low interest rates. You pay off half of it every month. I mean, it's almost, it's wow. definitely cheaper than rent. And what about if you, you know, I mean, a lot of people dream about or think that's a great investment, the low-yield environment. They want to own some real estate, then rent it out, obviously. Um, I wanted to ask you a couple things. Uh, Last week, we talked about, you know, me, who is the guy who invested, and I'm the landlord. This week, I want to talk a little bit about the tenant and what rights they have. And, And let's start about you getting kicked out of the place you've just rented. How much notice do you need to get? Well, they have to, it depends on your lease, of course, but generally if it's month to month, you have to get uh, a month's notice. And, and the thing is, it, it, the notice requirement is really important, whether you're a tenant or whether you're a landlord. First of all, we talked last week, you have to have the walkthrough, right? That's when you're going in. Mm-hmm. When you leave, you should also do the walkthrough, so to make sure that the landlord can sort of keep the deposit for you or, or those kind of things, right? Because, in fact, what people don't realize is that as a tenant, you really have good rights, and you should definitely go to the British government, uh, the British Columbia government landlord and tenant website. Everything is spelled out really nicely. I mentioned uh, a couple of minutes ago my shocking stat that, you know, just because of my children's age, I've got a lot of those sort of young people who've been in the university scene, they rented. Well, a couple of them got just nailed on the damage deposit, not nailed because they had done something. Just the landlord says, I'm not handing you over your damage deposit. And I think... They liter- my impression was they literally thought that, hey, these are a couple of kids. You know, their parents are, you know, 5,000 miles away. Nothing's going to happen. No way, because, uh, in fact, the rights of the tenant are very, very, very good. Because even if there was damage, the landlord must announce that he's going, wants the money back. He, uh, he wants the damage fixed. But he also has to register that. If he doesn't register it, you're entitled to double your deposit back. So I think if you're a tenant and you, you feel you've been wronged and you can't get your deposit back and he doesn't pay you back within 15 days, guess what? He owes you double the amount. Well, it seemed to me something that you just alluded to earlier. You know, that walkthrough before you've rented the place, like you, you've, you've agreed that you're coming into it, you know, pick it mark, May 1st, but still walk through on May 1st so both the landlord and the tenant can get on the same page. And I would assume make any notes you can and, and even pictures. It's now so easy with a phone to take some pictures. And then when you walk out, you know, when you're, when you're done and you're leaving, I think it's a good idea for tenants to also walk through with the landlord to make sure they're not about to get hosed on a damage they didn't commit. Absolutely. If you don't do that, you give up your rights. You know, you're, because mm. you, you've got to sit down. Uh, to, you give up your rights to get the deposit back because the landlord can always say, well, I, I gave him two notices he didn't show. And then he maybe has the right to keep the deposit, but you walk with him, you, you compare the notes from moving in and moving out, 
There's no reason in the world why you are not entitled to get that deposit back. It's a deposit. It is not a rental to the landlord. If I'm a tenant, I obviously, I guess this is my, I think I already know the answer because it d- depends on my personal circumstances. But if I'm a tenant, do I want to sign a lease or do I want to go month to month? Well, I think you would prefer the month to month because it's much harder to dislodge you. If you have a term certain, so say for, for a year, oh, okay. well, then it has to be spelled out. I have to vacate at the end of that term. It's a fixed term. It's, it's I got to go. But if it's months to months, you know, has, the landlord has to have a real reason, probably usually uh, occupying it for themselves. They can't just get rid of you because they want to raise the rent. Yeah, well, that, I'm just <laughs> laughing at that thought. They may want to get rid of me when you put it that way. Hey, another quick one here, just very quickly, Ozzy. Subletting. You know, uh, yeah, don't, don't assume that you have the rights to sublet. You know, you, 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 the landlord can withhold the subletting. Remember, I, I checked you out. I checked your credit rating. I like you. Then you sublet it to the tenant from hell. No, the landlord has the right. Well, and the other thing they can no. do, because, I, I, again, this is just anecdotal for me, and you know a lot more people doing this, uh, you know, re- investing in real estate than I do. But So if I've heard about it, it might be a bit of a problem, is that you've got guys who rent, right? And, and it, doesn't matter, it doesn't matter if they're on month-to-month or a, or a year or whatever. And then they knew they were going on vacation for like a month, and they Airbnb'd that property. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, and that's right. And you did not bargain for that as a landlord. Yeah. Right? So. So now there is sometimes there might be a reason you have your mother from Australia coming for a month or so and you go, but then get it in writing and you could write in your contract that the, the permission shall not be unreasonably withheld. You'll see that in a lot of commercial leases. But generally speaking, no, you cannot sublet without permission in writing. Well, as I say, I, I'm looking at that Campbell River two-bedroom, two-bath for 97400 You can find all this on Ozzy's website, juric.com. I'm thinking here, Ozzy, I could probably do crowdfunding, and I could get people willing to throw money in to clear me out for, uh, you know, far away as possible from an urban center. <laughs> <laughs> so I could be owning one of those. Hey, by the way, I know this, that Ozzy last week mentioned a hot property. It was 142 acres off the top of my head uh, up at Williams Lake. Hey, the thing sold two days later. So check it out at juruk.com, J-U-R-O-C-K.com. That's where we put all the hot properties. These are just things that Ozzy sees because he sees hundreds of properties in a week and says, hey, that looks interesting. So uh, right. check it I mean, out that at juruk.com. One, you know, no building was more than eight years old. It was a gorgeous property, beautiful houses and outbuildings. You and I should have bought it ourselves, Mike. Well, we shouldn't. I, but you know what? I can't even figure out how to get to Williams Lake. It's a beautiful part of the country uh, in the summer. Okay. <laughs> Ozzy, go out and have a great weekend. You too. Take care. Bye-bye. I'm going live to the trading desk uh, in just a couple of minutes here. Kind of interesting to think, hey, if I had just done this, how much would I have made this week? Every week we talk about stuff. I'll give you that answer when we come back with Drew Zimmerman live from the trading desk. Plus, I like my Goofy this week, so stay with me. Coming up, I've got my Goofy Award for you, but let's go live to the trading desk. I want to hear the big money-making trade of last week there. Drew Zimmerman joins me. He does work in the futures and the commodities uh, markets for PI Financial Corp. Hey, Drew. Uh, one of the things that grabbed me is, uh, you know, if you do some of this stuff right, I mean, there's some you get the move right. It's unbelievable with the volatility how much you can make. So that's why I was thinking of what was the big trade last week. Last week for us, the big mover was crude. We had crude going down and touching 35 and a quarter and then surging back 
to almost $40 by the end of the week. That's a 13% move on the week and over 575% if you annualize that over the year. And that's not bad, just in case people are not sophisticated uh, or not familiar with investments. 575% is probably better than your bank account. Uh, but you're, what's, what's forcing that kind of a move? I mean, volatility is something that uh, all of us have recognized, whether we understand why it's happening. What's your take on this when you start seeing, you know, really a, a big 30% jump in a single week like that? I mean, it, it really is the uncertainty of the markets based on central bank policy. We really are trading on different central bank policy, our expectation of what they're going to do. And here in North America, especially the Fed, really is kind of giving us mixed messages of what they're trying to do and then the markets taking their own perception of that. And and right now, those two things really aren't matching up. We've got the Fed saying... Yeah, well, let me just, sorry to interrupt for a second, yeah, but I mean, uh, you don't have to go any further than that interest rate thing, because we have the December rate hike, then they say there's going to be four more to come, then we get into March, then they say there's only going to be two, you know, and now people are doubting there's even going to be two for the rest of the year. I mean, each one of those things moves the market. Well, that's exactly it. You have the market coming out and saying, we'll give you a 49% chance there's going to be one rate hike in December. And and the Fed is still coming out and saying, we're sticking with our two rate hikes this year. So mm-hmm. that uncertainty really moves our markets and and doesn't give investors a lot of conviction to go either way. So we do see a lot of volatility, but at the end of the week, we had currencies that were mostly flat, except for the Japanese yen, which we really see gets a safe haven flow. So the yen was up three cents this week. We had gold up $20 this week. Again, things that draw money when we have uncertain times, and in uncertain times, we had the S&P down a percent. So just not a lot of conviction going either way. Well, yeah, what is that? How do you translate that, you know, in the market? Because I certainly find myself, I I hate that it's the central banks, and they don't give us any warning. They make a statement, they backtrack on it. Uh, You know, they're trying to talk the market up, talk the market down. It makes me exceedingly cautious. I actually turn off a little bit because of it, because that's not something that I can actually factor into a proper decision. Other than don't do anything. <laughs> that, that That's exactly it. it. It really does take away a lot of the fundamental decision-making that we look at. So in that environment, what do you do? And, and you hit the nail on the head, Mike. You want to keep your size small because there's things happening in the market that you can't foresee. You can't see coming because it is a central bank change. So you really want to keep the time frame of your trading in, in tune with the analysis you know are you looking sure. for moves over the next week or moves over the next couple of months and and by doing it small you're able to give yourself lots of room to stay with the trade rather than getting chopped up in this volatility yeah absolutely i i think that's terrific advice and it's a very challenging environment that way so you literally uh you know have to change your approach to the market meanwhile drew for the rest of the weekend i'll wish i had done that oil trade 575 percent annualized I'm right there with you, Mike. <laughs> great, great stuff, Drew. Thanks for the time. Drew is a uh, futures, commodities uh, advisor, investment advisor at PI Financial Corp. Hey, by the way, I got a, a great stat for you right now. Uh, just to give the context of how difficult the industry is, I was just looking at a report this past week. Are you ready for this? If you're talking about mining corporations, 
with assets of $50 million or more, right? Well, their loss last year was $227 billion. That was their after-tax loss last year. This is, I just got this out of the Commerce Department data that was released about a week ago. Okay, so we're talking about size companies of $50 million or more, which is not very big in the mining industry. They lost collectively $227 billion after tax. But here's the thing. That one-year loss wipes out all profits that the industry had made since 2007. So, I mean, think about that. You're wiping out nearly a decade of profits in 12 months. Wow. Hey, my thanks to Drew Zimmerman, by the way. My thanks uh, to Ozzy Jurek, Tim Sesnick, Mike Levy, Travis Doyle. And remember, Money Talks is brought to you by Solera Club. Solera Club is a royalty-based investment meaning you get paid first. That's what a royalty model is. Uh, There's no fees attached, and it's in the tech side of things, the tech sector. So for more information, go to soleraclub.com. Time now for this week's Goofy Award. Well, Justice Minister Jody Wilson-Raybould recently attended a private invite-only liberal fundraiser for lawyers at the office, you know, sponsored by the prominent Bay Street law firm Tories LLP, Toronto. It costs about $500 to attend. Now, predictably, come on, this kind of thing raises questions about buying access to a cabinet minister. That's a good question. Got to ask every party that question because they all do it. What seems to be, though, far more uh, prominent these days in that kind of fundraising is a smaller gathering to make it more exclusive. That appeals to the people paying the money because they want to get the access to government. Well, in February, think about this. The Liberals broke the record for the number of people lobbying the federal government in one month. Over 2,900, shortest month of the year. Well, having met the minister and donating money, that can help get you to the front of that line or at least get you noticed so they know the people. If you've met them at a cocktail reception or her at uh, some other small event. Because keep in mind, every one of those lobbyists wants special treatment or at least a chance to plead their case on a specific issue. So if paying to attend a private function gives you an inside edge, then it's worth it. But here's the goofy part of this particular event. When questioned, Justice Minister Wilson-Raybould basically replied that she wasn't there as a cabinet minister. She was there as an MP. I mean, come on. Even if you've got Prime Minister Trudeau's selfie on the wall, you've got to know that's pretty lame. I mean, gee, let's see. A hand-picked group of high-powered Bay Street lawyers fork over 500 bucks because they're dying to meet the MP for Vancouver Granville. Are you kidding? As Allison, or rather CBC uh, reporter Alison Crawford pointed out, the invitation for the event mentioned Wilson Rabel's, in quotes, extraordinary mandate when includes an inquiry into missing and murdered Indigenous women, the legalization of marijuana, assisted dying legislation, and a quote. Come on, you think they're there just to meet the MP for Vancouver Granville? I thought that was so lame. That's why it's part of my, uh, my Goofy Award. But there actually is a more serious part. This broke the Liberals' own code of conduct. The liberal uh, basically says you can't fish in the waters. uh, You can't raise money in the waters where you fish. Like you can't be the justice minister and target lawyers uh, for your fundraising. And quotes, no preferential access to government or appearance of preferential access. Well, that that clearly appeared to be preferential access for paying 500 bucks. Good for the CBC's Alison Crawford and her work on that story. That's all the time we have. Hey, go to moneytalks.net. Hear the whole show. Get the Goofy Award. You got it all. Thanks for listening. Have a good weekend.